In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. My dad gave me a sports car for my 16th birthday. It was 20 years old and didn't run, but uh, I was very glad to have it. Uh, after several uh, thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of work, it did run, and uh, I was able to drive it uh, with putting that kind of work into it for uh, a number of years. This is um, a poor illustration of the gift of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, that is, the Lord gives it to us freely, but there's a cost that comes for us in living in the kingdom of heaven. And this, I believe, is part of the heart of the teaching about the kingdom that Jesus gives here in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, which is that it's of great value, and it's given freely, uh, but there's a cost. We saw the parable of the soils. We saw about how uh, our hearts have to be in the right condition in order to receive the word of God for it to be planted and we know that that is a condition of humility a condition of brokenness that's the condition for us to receive that seed deep within us uh, we saw the parable of the wheat and the tares and so while at first we see the kingdom of heaven living within our hearts then we see our hearts living within the kingdom of heaven and uh, living alongside of the tares and now we have this uh, series of parables that Jesus gives, again talking about the condition of the kingdom coming into our hearts, and then us living in the kingdom of heaven. And maybe there's no better place for us to start in thinking about kingdom theology and the cost that it has for us than with uh, King Solomon. King Solomon received a great kingdom. His kingdom is the pinnacle of the kingdom of Israel. The United Kingdom of Israel is at no better place uh, militarily, no better place in the extent of its borders, no better place in its wealth than at the time of King Solomon. And he seems to start very well. He starts acknowledging his own humility. He starts acknowledging uh, what it is that the Lord has done for his father David. And he starts by saying, I'm a small child who doesn't know what to do or how to respond. And so um, he prays to the Lord and asks the Lord to teach him how to live in this kingdom. And yet there is a seed here of his uh, fall, which is as wonderful and dramatic as his rise. Solomon's story is one really of tragedy. And we see the hint of that early on in 1 Kings chapter 3 where we read that Solomon loved the Lord only... Did you catch that word in the first line, verse 3? Only he sacrificed at the high places. And you remember that the high places are referenced throughout the histories and the prophets. The high places are those places where the pagans would worship. They would find any hill, they would find any tall grove of trees, and they would worship to pagan deities in those places. These were pagan places of worship. And though it seems that Solomon loved the Lord and his, um, his intent at some point was in worshiping the Lord, he had this one thing that he kept for himself, this one little bit of worshiping uh, at these pagan places. 
And as he does grow in the wisdom that the Lord promises him, as he does grow in the wealth that the Lord promises him because of his humility, he also keeps for himself just a few little things. And that, of course, is the women that he marries and their love for the pagan deities. And this is a real warning for us about who we love, who we fall in love with, and who it is that we give our hearts to. Because those people that we give our hearts to open us up to everything that their hearts are open to. And the hearts of Solomon's wives were open to pagan worship. And eventually Solomon falls to that pagan worship and uh, rise up after him is his son Rehoboam, who is a fool, and leads them into civil war. So this is a lesson in the kingdom that Solomon uh, lives in. He more and more is um, enticed by the wealth, by the power, by the fame, by the glory of this earthly kingdom, and more and more gives up his heart to the earthly kingdom in exclusion of the heavenly kingdom, which is a temptation for all of us. We're so tempted to provide for the comfort and the safety of our bodies that we're willing to and sometimes give up almost everything for it. We'll give up our freedom. We'll give up our livelihood. We'll give up our faith because of our desire to have comfort and safety for our bodies. And this is exactly what Jesus warns us against and promising us the kingdom of heaven which is eternal and which is everlasting and which he reminds us comes at a cost. He talks to us about it in these, um, these five parables that are all these, um, these agricultural kind of parables uh, and they all have um, at their heart the relationship between the heart and the kingdom of heaven. And so um, they are ordered in five here uh, and we might see that order similar to the order of the Beatitudes that we begin chapter 5 with, where Jesus has uh, seven Beatitudes, right? And then that eighth is the result, the consequence of keeping the Beatitudes, which of course is persecution, right? Uh, something similar uh, here, I think, in these parables. So what are they? The first one is uh, the mustard seed. Uh, the second one is leaven. The third is treasure. The fourth is the fine pearl. And then the fifth is the net that gathers the fish, which is us. And so there's a shift there from us identifying as the one who has the, the seed of heaven implanted in them to being one of those fish who's caught in the kingdom. And so that, that focus changes again like we've seen before with the soils and then the wheat and the tares. So the first thing that Jesus emphasizes is uh, the, the might of the kingdom of heaven. That if we're willing to pay the cost, if we're willing to have that seed planted within us, it is transformative. And the transformation of the mustard seed is into this amazing tree uh, that provides so much benefit to those around us. The second is very similar, the leaven. There's a dramatic change that happens, right? The flour is no longer the same. Flour that has leaven in it is 
totally transformed. It's different and it can't be separated, right? The, the leavened loaf can't um, be pulled apart and the leaven removed. It's a, it's a full and complete transformation and the leaven is so small in comparison to the measure of flour that it's put into. Right? The leaven, though small, is so active and powerful that it transforms the whole loaf. And this is the promise of the kingdom of heaven within us, that if the kingdom of heaven is allowed to uh, come into our hearts, it transforms us wholly and completely. So the, the might and the power of the mustard seed and the whole and complete transformation of the leaven. And then we become active. So, right, the soil and the flower are not active. They're receiving the kingdom of heaven. And there's something about us just receiving the kingdom of heaven. We are not active in that, right? The Lord is active. His kingdom is active. We're recipients of it. But then there is a cost. There is participation that's required of us. There are things to do. It's freely given, like my dad gave me that car, but there's work to be done. There's participation. And so we see that emphasized in the uh, treasure and in the pearls, right? The man finds it and he covers it up and out of his joy he sells all that he has. So this is us recognizing the value of the kingdom of heaven, recognizing the value of that transformation, and then us having to do a calculation and saying, uh, is it worth it for me? Am I, is it worth it for me to give up what I need to give up to acquire the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus has talked about this throughout the gospel, right? He's talked about how we may have to give up our family. We may have to give up our, our parents or our brothers and sisters. He says we may have to give up our occupation. We may have to give up our place in society. There's so much that we may have to give up. Again, this isn't something that we pay to say, okay, I will pay this amount and you give me the kingdom of heaven, but it's a cost of accepting that change. And the man who finds it is willing to give up everything for the treasure. Similarly, the merchant in search of the fine pearls does the same thing. He sells all that he has and he buys the pearls. So he recognizes its value, though it's small, though it may seem to some uh, to be something insignificant and overlooked, which is how much of the world sees our faith, right? They see our faith as insignificant. They see uh, the transformation that happens within us spiritually as small and of little worth. But we realize it's dramatic and great value, and we're willing to give up everything for it. So these two parables of us receiving the kingdom, two parables of us being active and going out and purchasing everything, of paying this great cost to receive it, and then a parable in which we're not active at all, but where we're being acted upon by the fishermen. Right? We're one of the fish. We're one of the fish. And the question is, which fish are we? Right? The question is not, are we a fish or aren't we? The question is, what kind? Are we the kind that's been transformed? Are we the kind that's given up everything that we had in order to buy the virtue of the kingdom of heaven? Are we the kind who has been willing to, to pay the cost? Are we the one who is going out and searching for the kingdom? Have we been desiring it? Have we been looking for it? And if that's the case, if we've been willing to pay the cost, if we've been willing to give up everything, if we've been searching for it, if we've been willing to be humbled and transformed by it, then we're one of those fish that's caught in the net and who is sorted into the good containers.
rather than the ones that are thrown away. Because what else can you do with a bad fish? A fish that's given itself up to corruption, a fish that's given itself up to vice, a fish that hasn't been willing to give up those things of great cost is not worth keeping. And so they're destroyed. And this is at the point where we think, why do people think that Jesus is this easy, meek, and mild prophet who teaches love and gentleness while the Old Testament teaches, uh, you know, this, this judgment? Jesus takes it to a much higher standard than the Old Testament prophets ever did. For he says, the end of those wicked fish is weeping and gnashing of teeth. At which point we have to say, what can we do? Do we have it within our power to make ourselves good fish? We do not. And St. Paul recognizes that for us and he says, there's nothing that we can do except allow the Holy Spirit within us to transform us. In Romans chapter 8, he says, it's not within our power. right? It's not within our power to change our hearts and our minds. But he says that, that the Spirit will help us in our weakness, which goes right back to where we were with Solomon, right back where we were with the one who's willing to pay the price, which is, are we willing to admit our weakness? Are we willing to admit our need for the Lord? We won't receive the Holy Spirit and receive His power and transformation if we don't admit that we're weak, if we stand by our own strength and power. But if we admit our weakness and we say we do not know how to pray, which can be a difficult thing for other people to hear because sometimes people will come to us and say, pray for this and pray for that and pray for this to happen and that to happen and these things. And we have to say, I don't know all that. I don't know that all that is good. I don't know that all that is right. Right? Let's wait in our own weakness, in our own misunderstanding, and allow the Spirit to pray through us. So we not only need to do that for ourselves, but we need to do it for one another to say, I don't know how this is supposed to happen. I don't know what's supposed to happen. And we see this in the life of the apostles and the prophets all the time, right? Where the crowd says, do this, and the prophet says, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me something very different. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit himself to intercede in groanings too deep for words. This is the Spirit's promise, that if we are willing to be quiet, and we're willing to wait, and we're willing in humility to submit to the Lord, and wait upon Him, He will pray in us in a way that we won't always understand. We will experience a transformation in our hearts and in our minds. Have you done this? Have you waited upon the Lord? Have you given Him your fears and your worries and your frustrations and your angers? And then just allow the Lord to pray through you and, and then experience that peace even though it doesn't seem like on the outside anything really has changed. But somehow we realize the Lord is in charge, that He has a plan. This is what St. Paul promises, that the Spirit will intercede and that He will pray the will of God Himself and that this is for those who love God. And we get this beautiful promise, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And this is a really great verse that people like to put on t-shirts, right? But they leave out that second verse, the one that comes right after it. Because this is a God who didn't spare His own Son. Oh, well, wait a minute. God's for me. Who can be against me? This is a God who didn't spare His own Son. Oh, wait a minute. This is a God who won't spare me? Is that what He's saying? That I won't be spared? That I'll be allowed to suffer for righteousness' sake? Is that what the Gospel promises? We will suffer for righteousness' sake? That's the part that people don't want to put on t-shirts. That's the promise of being in Christ. That we will suffer for righteousness the way He did. Am I misreading this? But God gave Him up for us all. How will He not also deal graciously and give us all things? All things. All things. He's going to give us the car and say, roll up your sleeves. Get to work. It's a mess. There's work to be done. There is work for us to do. This world is a mess. Our families are a mess. There's work to do. There's a price to be paid. There's a cost. We have to give our time. We have to give our talent. We have to give our treasure. And what we're willing to sacrifice in the end is what we are willing to reap. To bring forth. Because He will not spare us. He will use us all. He made us. He brought us into this world and He's got a plan for us. He's not going to waste us. He's not going to put us up onto a shelf. We're not a pretty thing to look at. We're supposed to be going to work. To do the things of God. Christ is the one who died. More than that, He is the one who was raised. And He is interceding for us all. Well, I drove the car. Never had a radio. Never had air conditioning. The windows rarely worked. The seats were vinyl. Yes, this was in Las Vegas. It went really fast. And I had a lot of fun. And I sold it for five times what my dad paid for it in 1967 and was able to get my family out of debt which to me was worth more than the car that mustard seed becomes a home for the birds of the air and St. Hilary of Poitiers says that is the faithful that would come and that would rest in our faith our faith will become a home for those that need shade and rest. He will transform us and our lives will become sanctuaries and symphonies for those who turn to the love of God.